The Word of God, the Holy Bible, is a treasure and a gift beyond compare. Every passage of it points to a marvelous truth that God's love for man impelled him to step out of eternity and unite with his creation in order to redeem him from sin. Jesus Christ is both the author and subject of this precious word. Join us at the Superior Word each week as we search out this wonderful gift in search of Christ Jesus. Psalm 69, to the chief musician set to the lilies, a psalm of David. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire. Where there is no standing, I have come into deep waters where the floods overflow me. I am weary with my crying. My throat is dry. My eyes fail while I wait for my God. Those who hate me without a cause are more than the hairs of my head. They are mighty who would destroy me. Being my enemies wrongfully, though I have stolen nothing, I still must restore it. O God, you know my foolishness, and my sins are not hidden from you. Let not those who wait for you, O Lord God of hosts, be ashamed because of me. Let not those who seek you be confounded because of me, O God of Israel. Because for your sake I have borne reproach, shame has covered my face. I have become a stranger to my brothers and an alien to my mother's children. Because zeal for your house has eaten me up. And the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. When I wept and chastened my soul with fasting, that became my reproach. I also made sackcloth my garment. I became a byword to them. Those who sit in the gate speak against me. And I am the song of the drunkards. But as for me, my prayer is to you, O Lord, in the acceptable time. O God, in the multitude of your mercy, hear me in the truth of your salvation. Deliver me out of the mire and let me not sink. Let me be delivered from those who hate me. And out of the deep waters, let not the flood water overflow me, nor let the deep swallow me up, and let not the pit shut its mouth on me. Hear me, O Lord, for your loving kindness is good. Turn to me according to the multitude of your tender mercies, and do not hide your face from your servant. For I am in trouble. Hear me speedily. Draw near to my soul and redeem it. Deliver me because of my enemies. You know my reproach, my shame, and my dishonor. My adversaries are all before you. Reproach has broken my heart, and I am full of heaviness. I looked for someone to take pity, but there was none. And for comforters, but I found none. They also gave me gall for my food, and for my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. Let their table become a snare before them, and their well-being a trap. Let their eyes be darkened so that they do not see, and make their loins shake continually. Pour out your indignation upon them, and let your wrathful anger take hold of them. Let their dwelling place be desolate. Let no one live in their tents. For they persecute the ones you have struck, and talk of the grief of those you have wounded. Add iniquity to their iniquity, and let them not come into your righteousness. Let them be blotted out of the book of the living, and not be written with the righteous." But I am poor and sorrowful. Let your salvation, O God, set me up on high. I will praise the name of God with a song and will magnify him with thanksgiving. This also shall please the Lord better than an ox or a bull which has horns and hooves. The humble shall see this and be glad. And you who seek God, your hearts shall live. For the Lord hears the poor and does not despise his prisoners. Let Heaven and earth praise him, the seas and everything that moves in them. For God will save Zion and build the cities of Judah, that they may dwell there and possess it. Also the descendants of his servants shall inherit it, and those who love his name shall dwell in it. Okay, we are now in Numbers chapter 3. We're going to do the first 13 verses today. This is entitled, The Levites Shall Be Mine. Now these are the records of Aaron and Moses when the Lord spoke with Moses on Mount Sinai. And these are the names of the sons of Aaron, Nadav the firstborn and Avihu, Eleazar and Ithamar. These are the names of the sons of Aaron, the anointed priests whom he consecrated to minister as priests. Nadav and Avihu had died before the Lord when they offered profane fire before the Lord in the wilderness of Sinai. And they had no children. So Eleazar and Ithamar ministered as priests in the presence of Aaron, their father. 
And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Bring the tribe of Levi near and present them before Aaron, the priest, that they may serve him. And they shall attend to his needs and the needs of the whole congregation before the tabernacle of meeting and do the work of the tabernacle. Also, they shall attend to all the furnishings of the tabernacle of meeting and to the needs of the children of Israel to do the work of the tabernacle. And you shall give the Levites to Aaron and his sons. They are given entirely to him from among the children of Israel. So you shall appoint Aaron and his sons, and they shall attend to their priesthood. But the outsider who comes near shall be put to death. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Now behold, I myself have taken the Levites from among the children of Israel, instead of every firstborn, who opens the womb among the children of Israel. Therefore the Levites shall be mine. Because all the firstborn are mine on the day that I struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, I sanctified to myself all the firstborn in Israel, both man and beast. They shall be mine. I am the Lord. In this world, things need to be done, right? Everybody agree with that? And there is always something to do. Having spent 20 plus years in wastewater treatment, I can assure you that there is no time ever that we can let our attention to treating that particular stream fall for even a moment. All around the world, people are watching dials, tending to pumps, cleaning screens, taking samples, changing chemical doses, and on and on and on. Somebody needs to do it. Houses need to be built. Cars need to be fixed. Food needs to be prepared. That's why I have a beautiful wife over there. Wood needs to be chopped. As I said, there's always something to do. There wouldn't be hospitals if everyone was healthy, but people get sick, people get hurt, people go nuts. Such is life. If there is a hospital for such folks, then there needs to be doctors and nurses and also pay collectors for those whose bills come along after you fix them up. Think of what it takes to make a single pencil. The amount of human effort to bring one pencil to a store is literally mind-numbing. Wood has to be chopped down. Someone had to make the saw to do it. Someone had to get the metal out of the ground for the saw. Someone had to, well, you could go on and on, literally for hours thinking about what is involved in the process of making and distributing a pencil. And in doing so, I guarantee that you would miss a thousand parts of the program. One can't run a chainsaw without gas. Gas alone requires a thousand sheet plan just for starters. Okay. So now you know that something seemingly simple, like buying a pencil or something out of mind, like water going down your drain, takes a lot of careful effort to ensure that things work out as they should. Why do we think that it is any less complicated studying theology? There needs to be a plan. There needs to be a framework for executing that plan. And there needs to be people to ensure that the plan is properly worked out. Our text verse comes from Ephesians chapter 4, it's verses 11 through 13. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ." Paul says that Christ Jesus gave some for various purposes with a greater plan. The word to give in Hebrew is natan. You're going to hear that throughout this sermon today. Paul was a Hebrew-speaking Jew, and although the New Testament was written in Greek, he would have had Hebrew on his mind as he thought out his words. It could be that he had been reading the books of Moses that day and was thinking about how God gave the Levites to the priests in order to accomplish their tasks. In this, he might then have thought how the Lord gave out his gifts to various people in order to meet the needs of the church. In the end, it is an immensely complicated thing, but it has worked amazingly well for 2,000 plus years. The same is true with how he developed the stewards of the law of Moses. He took for himself and he gave according to his wisdom that which was his. Understanding this, and because you know how precious a pencil actually is after having thought it through, imagine how precious is the Word of God, which details not earthly, perishable things, even things which can be erased, but rather heavenly, spiritual things which endure forever. 
Even if the law of Moses and the Levitical system were temporary, the truths which stem from them are eternal. They point to Christ and they reveal him in unique ways and they lead us to a much better understanding of why we need him in our lives. And so as we continue on in another chapter, which will have more seemingly irrelevant information that nobody in today's world would ever care about, remember that this is completely incorrect. One can't have a pencil without all that it takes to make a pencil, including the eraser and even the little words on the side that nobody ever reads. And one cannot have an appreciation for the person and work of Christ without going into all of the intricate detail that it took us to get to him. Before I go on, one of our missionaries, you know her, I'm not going to say where she is, but you know why. She emailed me this past week and she said, you've made numbers come become interesting. And I'm so glad to hear that. I'm so glad to hear that because it is hard to read. It's a difficult book, but it's all coming to a purpose. Today's verses continue on with what I said three or four sermons ago. All of these first sermons are coming together to a point, and we'll probably get to that next week or the week after that, and you're going to all of a sudden say, ah, I get it. I get why all of this minutia was given. Until then, just bear with it. Some people couldn't care diddly about the details. But imagine what would happen if the ball were to drop today. When the stores ran out of pencils, that would be the end of them, permanently. When the system breaks down, only those who know how the system works will benefit from it. The Old Testament is the foundation of the system. And the details of Numbers chapter 3 are another marvelous part of that wonderful system. So let's enjoy what is before us, learning as we go. It's all to be found in his superior word. And so let's turn to that precious word once again. And may God speak to us through his word today. And may his glorious name ever be praised. I've got three separate thoughts for you today. The first is holiness before the Lord. It's verses 1 through 4. Verse 1, now these are the records. The words here, ve'ele toledot, or and these are the generations, are a technical formula, which occurs numerous times in the book of Genesis. They look down, not up, as history unfolds. Some translations say genealogies, some say records, and so on. But when they are given, they introduce a new direction in the narrative especially concerning genealogies of a man or men. In this case, it is the Toledot, or records of one continuing, Aaron and Moses. Chapter 3 immediately is introduced with a particular order. Aaron and Moses, rather than Moses and Aaron. Aaron is the older of the two. But this may not be the reason for citing Aaron first. Rather, it is likely because of his generations that they are the priestly class, whereas the other sons of Levi will be named simply as Levites. It appears that Aaron and Moses are considered the heads of the entire tribe of Levi. But Moses' office is a temporary one compared to Aaron, whose generations will continue throughout the duration of the law in a priestly capacity. Chapter 3 is going to detail and count all of the tribe of Levi, but the statement here speaks only of the Toledot or generations of Aaron and Moses. The reason for this is that it then indicates that the relationship of the Levites to the priests is what is being addressed. It is the priests which receive the focus of the narrative. But this still doesn't explain why Moses is considered at all in the Toledot or generations of the priests. The reason may be that because Moses is the lawgiver, even of the priests that he is considered as a father in the faith to them. It is as if he begat them because of the law, which they administer as priests, which came through Moses. This would then be in line with 1 Corinthians chapter 4, where it says this, I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you. For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel." Paul was as a father who begat his children in Christ, and the same concept may be why Moses is included as the part of the generations of the priests here in the book of Numbers. Verse 1 continues, when the Lord spoke with Moses on Mount Sinai. The Hebrew reads, in the day when the Lord spoke with Moses. This may refer then to Numbers 1 verse 1, the same day as the other instructions were given. The instructions for what will now follow have also then been given. Or more likely, 
It is a general term signifying the time when Aaron and Moses were raised to being the spiritual heads of their tribe. Either way, this statement is especially important because of what is next recorded for us. Verse 2, And these are the names of the sons of Aaron, Nadav the firstborn, and Abihu, Eliezer, and Ithamar. The listing of the sons of Aaron includes Nadav and Abihu, and yet both of them are dead at this point. Thus, this genealogical record is looking down from Aaron's time as a whole, not from the moment that the account is recorded. Everything from that point is the Toledot, or generations of Aaron. The deaths of Nadav and Avihu are recorded in Leviticus chapter 10. During their time of ordination to the priesthood, they offered profane fire before the Lord. And because of their irreverence, fire from the Lord came out and devoured them. That ended their lives, as neither had sons at that time. Along with them, Aaron's two other sons are Eliezer and Ithamar. Verse 3. These are the names of the sons of Aaron, the anointed priests, whom he consecrated to minister as priests. These words tend to confirm that the term in the day the Lord spoke with Moses is referring to a general time frame of the reception of the law and the institution of the priesthood. The names of all four of the sons of Aaron are spoken of in the same context. They are all considered anointed priests and all were consecrated to minister as priests. Regardless of the fact that two are now dead, they were alive and serving as priests in the day, meaning the entire time that the Lord spoke to Moses. The consecration here in Hebrew is the words Asher Mele Yadam Lakahen, or whose hands he filled to serve. The meaning of that goes back to the filling of the hands with the ram of the consecration in Leviticus chapter 8. I don't know if you remember that, but that is how they were consecrated, by placing that ram in their hands. And so we see that the term day is speaking of a whole, just as the day of the Lord is not a set day, but a period of time. And this is more confirmed by verse 4. Nadav and Avihu had died before the Lord when they offered profane fire before the Lord in the wilderness of Sinai. The time spoken of is past, and yet it's recorded now. Their deaths were in the wilderness of Sinai, it says, where Aaron and Moses continue to live even at this point. If it seems like an odd way to establish the Toledot, or the generations of the priests, it actually isn't. It is, in fact, a sober reminder to them that there would be consequences for not treating the priesthood as a sacred and holy obligation. The same term, lifne Yehovah, or before the Lord, is used for both the offering of profane fire and dying before the Lord. Thus, there is a stress on the term signifying holiness. Everybody understand that? This is why they're included in there. This is why this is being said the way that it is. As the Levites will be recorded as a part of the generations of Aaron, affixing them to the priesthood, it then means that they will be expected to discharge their duties in exactly the same reverent and holy manner. This statement concerning Nadav and Avihu is their reminder. The Lord is holy, he has called the priests to holiness, and he has called the Levites who minister to the priests to holiness. What may seem unimportant now will, when properly considered, seem immensely important. This is especially true as we arrive at Numbers chapter 16. There is an incident recorded called Korah's Rebellion. Korah is a Levite through Kohath, the son of Levi, but he will challenge the priesthood. And when he does, what happened to Nadav and Avihu will seem like a peaceful departure from this existence. They died, but they died quickly and alone, as is next stated. Verse 4 continues, and they had no children. It is a statement which bears several thoughts in one. First, it is an indication that their line ended. That is a sad reference on the surface. They have no descendants to carry on their name. However, it is a statement of mercy in that they had no descendants to mourn them. No children were left as orphans. And it is a greater statement of mercy because when Korah rebels, the account says that the households of those who rebelled were destroyed with the offenders. All the children, everything. For Nadav and Avihu, the only loss was their own lives. Verse 4 continues, So Eleazar and Ithamar ministered as priests in the presence of Aaron, their father. The result of not ministering in holiness was death to Aaron's two eldest. As a result, these words indicate that it became the honor, but equally so the responsibility, to carefully minister as priests before Aaron, their father. A priesthood before the Lord our God, the way of mediation has been defined. 
It is accessible any place we are and anywhere we trod with our mediator. None are left out and none are left behind. All who come through him have access and any who so desire may freely come. Does God hear? We don't even need to guess. He hears all because of Jesus and not only some. All he requires is that we come by faith in Christ. We come to him through the precious blood that was shed. It was for our sins that he was sacrificed. And for restored access is why our Savior bled. Our second thought today is bring the tribe of Levi near. It's verses 5 through 10. Verse 5, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, With the establishment of the new direction of the narrative, that of the Toledot, or generations of Aaron and Moses, a new subsection of that major thought is now introduced with these words. They revert to the standard format, which is so common to this particular time while encamped around Mount Sinai. Vedaber Yehovah el Moshe Lemor, or and spoke Yehovah unto Moses, saying... Aaron's specific role as the head of the priestly class is identified, the listing of the generations of that class has been named, and so instruction from the Lord on a new but related matter is now spoken by the Lord to Moses. That instruction continues with verse 6, bring the tribe of Levi near. In this, the term bring near is considered with a view to a sacrificial or devoted sense. Just as animals were brought near as an offering to the Lord, that is what is now being conveyed concerning the tribe of Levi. When this is completed, they will no longer be considered as rightly joining in any employment or profession that is common. From this time on, they would be a special class, subordinate to the priests, but separated from Israel and belonging to the Lord as his own. The tribe of Levi, meaning Levi's descendants, has already been singled out in chapter 1 during the time of the census of the other tribes. To remind you of that, I'm going to read you those verses again. Here's what it says from chapter 1. But the Levites were not numbered among them by their father's tribe. For the Lord had spoken to Moses, saying, Only the tribe of Levi you shall not number, nor take a census of them among the children of Israel. But you shall appoint the Levites over the tabernacle of the testimony, over all its furnishings, and over all things that belong to it. They shall carry the tabernacle and all its furnishings. They shall attend to it and camp around the tabernacle. And when the tabernacle is to go forward, the Levites shall take it down. And when the tabernacle is to be set up, the Levites shall set it up. The outsider who comes near shall be put to death. The children of Israel shall pitch their tents, everyone by his own camp, everyone by his own standard, according to their armies. But the Levites shall camp around the tabernacle of the testimony, that there may be no wrath on the congregation of the children of Israel. And the Levites shall keep the charge of the tabernacle of the testimony. That special calling, which was detailed there, is to be developed further. The Lord instructs Moses, Hakrev et mate Levi, or bring near the staff, meaning the tribe of Levi. In the Bible, you hear the word staff like a shepherd's staff. It represents the tribe, okay? They were not counted among the tribes for general purposes, but they are to be counted nonetheless for special purposes. This separation stems from two key moments in the life of Levi. The first was in Genesis chapter 34 at the time when his sister Dinah was violated. At that time, both Simeon and Levi killed all of the males in the town of Shechem. I'm going to read that to you so you remember what happened. Now it came to pass on the third day when they were in pain that the two sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, each took his sword and came boldly upon the city and killed all the males. And they killed Hamor and Shechem, his son, with the edge of the sword and took Dinah from Shechem's house and went out. Many years later, as Jacob was on his deathbed, he blessed his sons according to their futures. When he came to Simeon and Levi, he said the following, Simeon and Levi are brothers. Instruments of cruelty are in their dwelling place. Let not my soul enter their council. Let not my honor be united to their assembly. For in their anger they slew a man, and in their self-will they hamstrung an ox. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. The prophecy for these sons is literally fulfilled. Simeon will be divided and dispersed in the inheritance of Judah. Levi will be divided and dispersed throughout all of Israel. As the Levites, they will minister for the priests and to the people. 
What is detailed here, like the details of chapter one, continue the first half of that equation. Verse six continues, and present them before Aaron the priest. And have stand them before Aaron the priest. With these words, one gets the sense of a servant standing before his master awaiting instructions. The priesthood has already been selected, presented, ordained, and set into daily practice. The Levites are now being presented as a gift of service to the priests through Aaron the high priest. Again, think of what happened with Aaron in Leviticus. He and his sons were designated by the Lord and by name. They were then presented before the Lord. They then went through rites of ordination, and then they were acceptable as priests before the Lord. This is the same process which is being directed towards the Levites now. They are first selected, then they will be presented, they will be ordained, and then they will minister. In what capacity they will minister is seen in the next words. Verse 6 continues, that they may serve him. Their duties were named in chapter 1, but they will be expanded on here. What is evident with these words is that it is a service to the priests. They are not appointed to a mediatorial role before the Lord. Rather, they serve the mediator of the covenant, meaning Aaron. As Aaron is representative of his line, then they are to serve the priests who issue from Aaron. This is a permanent arrangement. Verse 7. And they shall attend to his needs and the needs of the whole congregation before the tabernacle of meeting. As is seen here, the role of Levi is a double-pronged one. They are to first attend to his, meaning the priest's, needs, and they are also to attend to the needs of the whole congregation. However, the verse more accurately reads, and they shall keep his watch and watch all the congregation before the tent of meeting. To keep watch in this sense is a sacred calling and obligation. It is the watch of the Lord which they are actually attending to. There is a vast, detailed, and complicated set of rituals and rites which are laid out. Everybody remember the book of Leviticus? Doesn't that describe it well? There you go, especially in the book of Leviticus. There is no way the priests could accomplish all of what was required in this watch before the Lord. The priests are insufficient in number, and the congregation is unschooled in the details of what was required. Because death is the resulting penalty for improper conduct of the Levitical law, there needed to be qualified, capable, and trained men to accomplish what needed to be done. It is the same thought that Paul relays to the people of Corinth when he said these words, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5, For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. Somebody stands between the Lord and the unskilled to ensure the two meet in harmony and without confusion. Certain men during each dispensation have been given specific duties to ensure the people are properly tended to concerning the things of God. In the time before the law, the oldest son of the house was normally the one who would take the priestly functions of the house. Now in the time of the law, the Levites are selected in the place of the firstborn. That will be seen in just a couple more verses. Verse 7 continues to do the work of the tabernacle. It is words like these that show the importance of consistent translation and with acceptable diversity of words. This clause says, La'avod et avodat ha-mishkan, for serving the service of the tabernacle. The word translated as tabernacle here, mishkan, is completely different than the previous clause which said ohel moed, or tent of meeting. By translating both as tabernacle, as the New King James Version does, one is given a false reading of what is being said. The two terms are not synonymous. The mishkan is the tabernacle which is inside of the tent of meeting. Levi is given the job of doing the work of the tabernacle. This would involve erecting it taking it down, transporting it, keeping things fit, repaired, polished, and so on. It would also include assisting the priests in the functions related to the tabernacle, but the Levites themselves would not enter the tabernacle, either in the holy place or the most holy place. Though they were helpers to the priests, they were not to perform priestly functions for themselves. Everybody got that? Levites are not priests. Verse 8, also, they shall attend to all the furnishings of the tabernacle of meeting. Once again, this is ohel moed, it should say tent of meeting. The specifics of these words 
are given later in this chapter. And the specifics of the things that only the priests were to do are given in the next chapter. Certain vessels were not to be touched or even seen by the Levites. Other things were to be cared for and tended to by them. The majority of the heavy, labor-intensive tasks would devolve to the Levites. However, this is a service that is one of the highest honor nonetheless. They act as servants to the priests, but the service should have been considered one of the great great greatest honors verse 8 continues and to the needs of the children of israel to do the work of the tabernacle that's correct there the word tabernacle is mishkan in that verse so it says tent of meeting then tabernacle then tent of meeting and then tabernacle and unless you know it by the correct translation you have a faulty sense of what's being said so that's why we go through these word by word and when a translation is incorrect like the king james or the new king james we correct it Again, the children of Israel, meaning the entire congregation, was to benefit from the service of the Levites. As the house in ancient times was to be served by the father and then the firstborn son after him, in all things concerning their religious needs, so was Levi now granted this honor. Verse 9, and you shall give the Levites to Aaron and his sons. The verse here bears a forceful emphasis. First, it says, Venatata et halavim leaharon ulebanav, and give the Levites to Aaron and to his sons. They are as a possession being handed over for total ownership. There would be no pay from the priests for this. Rather, pay would come through the tithes of the people, and a tenth of that would then be taken for the priests. The stress then continues with the next words. They are given entirely to him from among the children of Israel. Netunim, netunim hema, given, given to him. Repetition in this way in the Hebrew is a statement of emphasis. We say wholly given or given entirely or something like that. But the Hebrew repeats to obtain this same effect. In this, there is both an entirety to the giving and the certainty of the matter. No Levite is left out and they are given without the thought of release or exception. Further, the verse says that they are given from among the children of Israel. Those in other tribes were not given in this capacity. And to allow others to be so given would be a violation of what the Lord had determined. He selected Levi from Israel and so no non-Israelite and no non-Levite would be considered acceptable to perform their duties. This unlawful and unholy practice, however, is seen later, after the people divide into two kingdoms. That is recorded in 2 Chronicles 13, 9 and 10. What it says there in those verses is that the northern kingdom broke away and the king went and appointed his own people as Levites. Whoever he wanted, anybody could be a Levite to them. That is forbidden by the Lord. As a sort of parallel to this verse, but with a different meaning entirely, there is a class of people mentioned later in the Bible who are known as the Nethanim. These would be called the given. They are a class of people who are not Levites, but who also served the people. It is a class of people who served at the temple, but who are of a lower class than that of the Levites. Nethanim comes from Natan to give, and thus they may be people given over to the temple service, whether those of foreign birth as slaves or those of Israel who consecrated themselves by a vow. Verse 10, so you shall appoint Aaron and his sons and they shall attend to their priesthood. The Lord now steps back from the call of the Levites and again speaks of the priesthood of Aaron and his sons. The words, they shall attend to their priesthood, mean that because the Levites have been given to them for the non-priestly and yet many laborious and time-consuming tasks, they would be able to attend to their own duties without interruption or overworking. They would be able to burn the daily offerings and incense, pour out the drink offerings, perform the blood sacrifices, bless the people, and so on. The Levites were given the blessing of assistance for non-priestly duties, and so they were to attend to it without fail. But only the priests were to do what priests were appointed to do. Once again, does everybody have that? Only priests do the priestly duties. Levites never do the priestly duties. Verse 10 continues, But the outsider who comes near shall be put to death. This is a warning that is tied into the previous clause. Because the priests were freed from the non-priestly duties of the temple service, they alone were to do the priestly duties. Thus, nobody else had a right to come near, and no priest could shirk his duties by asking another to come near. 
even a Levite. Any non-priest who approached to conduct priestly duties was to be put to death. Now, the reason why I'm so forceful about this is because an exception is actually seen in 2 Chronicles 29, verse 34. And I'm going to take you there right now so that you can see this. Because, hang on, 2 Chronicles, and I said verse chapter 29, verse 34. I want to read this to you. It says there, 29, verse 34. But the priests, this is in the temple during Hezekiah's time, but the priests were too few so that they could not skin all the burnt offerings. That's a priestly duty there, something the priests were required to do. Therefore, their brethren, the Levites, helped them until the work was ended and until the other priests had sanctified themselves, for the Levites were more diligent in sanctifying themselves than the other priests. Okay, they petitioned the Lord, asked him to be merciful to them because they needed help, and that's what happened. So the priests, the Levites did help the priests in that instance, but it is not something that they were supposed to do. It's a rebuke to the priests who were not sanctifying themselves. It's a compliment to the Levites who had to step in and actually do something that they shouldn't have been done. So pay attention as you're reading the Bible, and these little things that seem unimportant suddenly become important later in the Bible, okay? They shall be mine. I have set them apart. They shall serve me and be unique unto me. They bear my sign and are written on my heart. I have sealed them with an eternal guarantee. And so some as apostles I have given, and some are pastors to lead my people along. Some are preachers preaching to the living, and some are teachers teaching the hungry throng. Till all come to unity of the faith, as is my design, and to the knowledge of the Son of God the Lord, each that has been sealed, each who now is mine, each in whom the heavenly deposit is stored." Our third thought today, they shall be mine, verses 11 through 13. Verse 11, then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, again, we return to the standard form of introducing a new sub-thought. The priestly line has been identified, the Levitical service has been delineated, and now the reason for and logic behind the choosing of the Levites will be stated. Verse 12, now behold, I myself have taken the Levites from among the children of Israel. This explains, firstly, why Moses could give the Levites to Aaron. The Lord had taken them for himself. In fact, the Hebrew reads it in an emphatic way. Ve'ani hine lakati et halavim. And I, behold, I have taken the Levites. As he has taken them, then he can give them. But when and how did he take them? The answer goes back to the Exodus. Verse 12 continues. Instead of every firstborn, who opens the womb among the children of Israel. The law of the firstborn was given in Exodus 13, and it is worth repeating to understand what the Lord has now determined concerning the Levites. Here's what it says there. And it shall be when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers and gives it to you, that you shall set apart to the Lord all that open the womb. That is, every firstborn that comes from an animal which you have, the males shall be the Lord's. But every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, and if you will not redeem it, then you shall break its neck. And all the firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. So it shall be when your son asks you in time to come, saying, What is this? That you shall say to him, By strength of hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And it came to pass when Pharaoh was stubborn about letting us go that the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of beast. Therefore I sacrifice to the Lord all males that open the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall be as a sign on your hand and as frontlets between your eyes, for by strength of hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt." The nation of Israel was adopted as the Lord's firstborn son. Because of this, the sign of the firstborn was then mandated. But in accepting the Levites in the place of the firstborn among the people, the firstborn was released from this obligation. Therefore, the Levites would be devoted with no division of interest, which would otherwise have been the case. Even the firstborn of the animals would now be substituted with the animals of Levi. That will be seen later in this chapter. Verse 12 continues, Therefore the Levites shall be mine. Countless reasons have been suggested as to why the Levites were chosen for this distinction. It has been suggested because they were the smallest tribe and that the number was sufficient for the job. Others ascribe this to the Levites' zeal for the Lord in the incident of the golden calf. 
Both of those may add weight to the reason, but what makes the most sense is simply that because Aaron is already the high priest, there's no need to go beyond Levi to secure an individual set of people. In the law of the firstborn, there would arise a great deal of confusion in the land and among the people if they were to leave their homes to minister down at the temple. Further, if there was no other child in the family, it would upset inheritances to take the firstborn, and so on with that kind of thinking. The list is long concerning why having a single tribe to be called out is the best option. They have no land inheritance, and so there's nothing to cause entanglements there. They are related to the priests, and so there is a sense of fraternal bonding there. The very name of Levi, it means attached, gives a sense of why they should be attached to the Lord in this way. The prophecy of the Father that they would be scattered in Israel means that the prophecy is fulfilled in this arrangement. On and on, the reasons for selecting Levi are sound, and they are numerous. Verse 13, because all the firstborn are mine. This was mandated based on the redemption of Israel. The Lord had struck the firstborn of Egypt, and he had spared the firstborn of his firstborn son, meaning Israel. Therefore, they were his. It was his sovereign act to spare them amidst the destruction which brought Israel out, and so he established the law based on that. Verse 13 going on. On the day that I struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, I sanctified to myself all the firstborn in Israel, both man and beast. Again, the firstborn of both man and beast were declared the property of the Lord. The firstborn of both were destroyed in Egypt, but the firstborn of both man and beast of Israel were spared. In this, he sanctified all firstborn as his own. It was the sign of his act and an acknowledgement by the people of his authority. However, he had, for his soul and wise reasons, now selected Levi in the place of the firstborn. Indeed, to have a single tribe to care for the priesthood and its associated duties, and to attend to the people in return, there was the surety of a successful continuance of his service, which would certainly have been lacking if the original firstborn system had been kept as it was. Verse 13 finishes with these words, They shall be mine, I am the Lord. I am sovereign over Israel. I held the right of the firstborn, and now I transfer that right to a single tribe. I am Jehovah, and therefore the decision is made, and it will be complied with. To challenge this is to challenge me. Obedience is anticipated and expected. Here we are seeing the development of a grand picture of the tribe of Levi. Moses is of Levi, and he was called as the deliverer and lawgiver as well as the leader. Aaron and his descendants serve in the priestly capacity. They are the keepers of the sanctuary and those who mediate the covenant between the Lord and the people. The other Levites as a tribe are now chosen in place of the firstborn of the people to accomplish any other duties in the sanctuary and in the service of the people. If one steps back and looks at each of these, from Moses to Aaron and his sons, to the greater tribe of Levi, every single aspect of their lives, think it again, Moses, Aaron and his sons, and the tribe of Levi, every single aspect of their lives and functions is accomplished in the church by one individual. Christ Jesus. He is our deliverer, Moses, lawgiver, Moses, and leader, Moses. He is the keeper of the sanctuary, Aaron, and the mediator of the covenant, Aaron, as well. And he is also the firstborn who ministers for the sake of the people before the father, Levi. Levi as a whole makes its own unique snapshot of the workings of God in Jesus Christ and for his people. And this is the very intent of calling Levi from the tribes. In them, there would be a unity of purpose despite being scattered in Levitical cities throughout the land. There would be one group of people unified in their work life, their family life, and their religious life. Jesus is that bond for us. He performs all of the functions of the men of this called out tribe, and so our devotion to him is to be unified as well. Yes, I know, churches fight over the smallest, most petty issues but we are united in a unique way at the same time. There is one God, one mediator, and one holy dwelling place, one word of authority in how we approach the Lord, and so on. The difference, however, is that despite Levi being united as a tribe, it was a tribe united as flawed individuals. In Christ, we are united to the one who is perfect in all ways. 
where Levi strayed and failed among both priest and people, our perfect Lord has never erred, never, nor will he ever. An effective, long-lasting, but temporary and fallible priesthood came through the law of Moses. A superior, eternal, and infallible priesthood is found in Christ Jesus. Types and pictures of him are intended to lead to him. Here in Numbers, as in the rest of Scripture, we are being led along a wonderful path that directs us back to God. And that path goes straight through and only through Jesus Christ. That's right. I heard the precious name breathed out back there by Linda. That is exactly right. There is nobody else that we can get to God through. He's the only way. The Bible makes that abundantly clear. And he says it himself as well in John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but through me. You can accept that premise, and you can call on Jesus, accept the idea that he died for your sins, that he was raised for your justification, and that he is ruling at the right hand of the Father right now, or you can reject it. God does not force that on you. I wrote a commentary on the uh, book of Hebrews where I said that the uh, Calvinist doctrine of predestination which leads to limited atonement is actually very similar to Islam. It's forced submission basically. God doesn't do that to us. God does not force himself on us. He allows us the choice. The fact that he knows the choice that we're going to make doesn't change the fact that we have to make the choice. God does not intervene in that in any way, shape, or form. He loves us enough to say, I've offered my son he is a gift to you, the people of the world, and if you will simply come through him and believe that I have done all the work, then you'll be saved, and you'll be with me for all of eternity. This is what God offers. I talked to a guy that was cleaning out the uh, sewer lines at the mall this week. It was early. They got there early. They couldn't go into the store that needed to have the line TV'd, and so I said, you got a few minutes. You might as well spend them productively. Can I tell you about Jesus? And he stood there and listened, and he accepted Jesus. He understood the simple message of Jesus Christ. That's what we need to do is to just be willing to say, hey, you got some time? Now, normally I won't do that. When somebody's working, I will not talk to them about Jesus because I don't want the boss to lose any of their employees' work. But they were standing there doing nothing, and they could do nothing. And so I took the opportunity at that time. Normally I'll say, listen, when you're done, if you have time or if you want to call me, here's a card, whatever. But when somebody's working, it's not a good time to talk to them because they have a responsibility to somebody else. But it was good that the Lord gave us that chance and that free time, and there you go. Wonderful stuff. I got a closing verse for you today. Oh, by the way, I'm giving the gospel. Please receive Jesus, okay? There you go. Our closing verse for today is Psalm 135. It's verses 19 through 21. Bless the Lord, O house of Israel. Bless the Lord, O house of Aaron. Bless the Lord, O house of Levi. You who fear the Lord, bless the Lord. Blessed be the Lord out of Zion who dwells in Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. Next week, Numbers 3, 14 through 39. What is it? Can you guess? It's entitled A Sign in the Wilderness. That'll be our fifth Numbers sermon. The Lord has you exactly where he wants you. He has a good plan and a purpose for you. It may seem at times as if you are lost in the desert wandering aimlessly, but the Lord is there carefully leading you to the land of promise. And so follow him and trust him, and he will do marvelous things for you and through you. Okay? Here we go. Poem called The Levites Shall Be Mine. Now these are the records of Aaron and Moses by and by when the Lord spoke with Moses on Mount Sinai. And these are the names of the sons of Aaron, Nadav, the firstborn, and Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar too. These are the names of the sons of Aaron, the anointed priests, whom he consecrated to minister as priests, so he did do. Nadav and Abihu had died before the Lord when they offered profane fire before the Lord, these two young men, in the wilderness of Sinai, and they had no children. So Eleazar and Ithamar ministered as priests instead. In the presence of Aaron, their father, by them they were led. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Bring the tribe of Levi near and present them before Aaron the priest, that they may serve him. To his directions they shall adhere. And they shall attend to his needs and the needs of the whole congregation. These duties they shall tackle before the tabernacle of meeting to do the work of the tabernacle. Also, they shall attend to all the furnishings of the tabernacle of meeting, so I say, and to the needs of the children of Israel to do the work of the tabernacle day by day. And you shall give the Levites to Aaron and his sons, as to you I tell, they are given entirely to him from among the children of Israel. So you shall appoint Aaron and his sons, and they shall attend to their priesthood. 
but the outsider who comes near shall be put to death. Make sure this is understood. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, These words to him he was then relaying. Now behold, I myself have taken the Levites from among the children of Israel, instead of every firstborn who opens the womb among the children of Israel, so to you I tell. Therefore the Levites shall be mine, because all the firstborn are mine, as you already know. On the day that I struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt to their deaths, they did go. I sanctified to myself all the firstborn in Israel, so is my word. Both man and beast, they shall be mine. I am the Lord. Lord God, we are even now in a wilderness and wanting to be led by you. Without you to direct, our lives would be a mess. And so be our guide, O God, you who are faithful and true. We long for the water in this barren land. May it flow forth from the rock, our souls to satisfy. Give us this refreshing spiritual hand and may we take it and to our lives daily it apply. And we shall be content and satisfied in you alone. We will follow you as we sing our songs of praise. Hallelujah to you, to us, your path you have shown. Hallelujah. We shall sing to you for all of our days. Hallelujah and amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for the details. Oh, they make it so exciting. Everything has a detail that is then found somewhere else in the Bible. And then we can say, now I understand why they put that in there. It's because there's something back in the book I never read before that I finally heard a sermon on. Lord, thank you for these things. It's just wonderful. It's so beautifully constructed that we can ponder on it for years and years and still find something new every day. Lord, thank you for those who are having birthdays in this week and in the uh, week ahead. And uh, we thank you, especially today, I want to thank you for Rhoda, who on her birthday was reading Joshua chapter 7. And then today I was reading Joshua chapter 7 as my own reading. And when I emailed Sergio about that, he emailed back, why are you asking about that? It's because Rhoda, my wife, was reading the same passage. And she came to some wonderful conclusions in your word, oh God. She came to some wonderful conclusions, which will help even with the sermon we do on Joshua someday. Thank you for her diligence in searching your word. And for the others that are having a birthday at this time, thank you for their diligence in pursuing your word as well and to applying your doctrine to their lives. And thank you for this congregation who is so wonderful They love your word. They cherish it. They want to know more. They tell others about it. They tell people about Jesus. Thank you for each person in this congregation, Lord. Thank you for it. And we love you, and we praise you, and we exalt you because of Jesus, our Lord, our Savior. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. No, no idea. And you know what? I'll, I'll say that before I switch this over. I had to say that during the prayer because I might have forgotten it, and I needed you guys to know what happened. I was reading Joshua 7. I started in it, and I, I just, you know, Aiken is about to get gone, right? He, he did something wrong, and he's about to be a goner. So I just typed a funny, quick email at about 4 o'clock this morning to uh, Sergio. I said, looks like Aiken is a goner. Numbers chapter 7. Or, I'm sorry, Joshua chapter 7. And he came back, and he was like, is Charlie looking into her computer or something? Because it was bizarre. And then he came back and he had this big long email from me of what she had found in there, what she had researched during her Bible reading. It was astonishing. And so here we're reading the same thing. And so I showed him a couple of the things that I have found in uh, Joshua 7 in the past. And he was like, wow, 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 wow. And then he'd send something else. And I almost didn't get here on time today because I had all this stuff that, you know, got me about 15 minutes late. And I kept thanking the Lord. I was here. I remember walking. I said, thank you for that moment this morning because it was perfect. It was perfect. Anyway, there we go. We're going to go to communion here. Zoop.